Well, all that talk after the World Cup from all those so-called experts claiming that Erling Haaland was disturbing Manchester City's flow. Why? Well, in their words, all the play was directed at him and City were becoming predictable and that's why he was having a gold route. Five goals later and they're wetting themselves thinking about his awesomeness. You just can't get a good pundit these days. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. Myself, Roy Shanahan, David Bugle, and Neil Dobbs in a week where the World Cup has a new format. Erling Haaland shows some of the ex-pros that he isn't the problem. And Daniel Levy has some big decisions to make this summer. Dave, I've I got to start with you because the reason why I started with the pundit side of things, after that World Cup, they did start homing in on the reasons why Erling hasn't, Haaland wasn't scoring, the reasons why Manchester City weren't doing as well as they should have been or they felt that they should have been and it all came down to Erling Haaland was the problem they've mm-hmm. kind of got sort of muck in their eye now haven't they? Always um, it's as simple as this like you know and I think you can get a feeling off pundits when players first come in and they were looking forward to it, but you could almost see a few of them kind of going, I hope this fails. I hope this fails. I don't think he's this good. And then all of a sudden he's wet. And then they have to go with it. And then when he goes on a bit of a lull, right, I can stick me, me. I always said it was a bit whatever. And now, well, you see other players like, say, Casemiro, Van Dijk or whatever, they, they love them immediately and they can do no wrong and they're never a fault. You always felt that undercurrent that some of them were dying to stick the boot in when they had the chance or maybe stick the boot into City for that matter. Um, as we've seen so eloquently uh, this week on a certain betting uh, websites video, Teddy Sheringham was a legend. Um, <laughs> I've missed uh, it. You've been talking about it. No, uh, missed it. He goes full-blown mank. It's just brilliant. Like and yeah. A bit of a dodgy accent and everything. So watch it. It's brilliant. Like. But he says Teddy, Manchester Sher- Teddy sharing him as Liam Gallagher, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he says Manchester is blue. So a few United fans know full well it's tongue in cheek, but a few of them are a little bit offended. But it's not nothing too serious anyway. It's all it's all a good laugh. But I, that's the ultimate thing. It's from Roy. You know yourself. But Haaland is 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 a slightly different player to a standard Man City player. He's an out and out goal scorer. Like he isn't gonna kind of be that one of the 11 that does the build-up play and this, that and the other. Put me, I'll be in a position, put me in and I'll put it in the back of the net and he does it as good as anyone without a shadow of a doubt. And De Bruyne coming back is a massive uh, um, um, boost for him as well. But I think that's what it is. From early on, I always felt there was one or two who were kind of like, nah, whatever, coming from Bundesliga, blah, 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 blah. And we're seeing their chance. And, uh, now and kind of shut and, their mouths for a while, Dave, when he was banging yeah. them in at the start of the season. It was like they exactly. pounced on an opportunity halfway through. 100%. And now they're all going on straight away that, uh, oh, they're favourites. But we've been here before five or six years in a row and City are favourites every year. But there's a certain team all in white. And as long as they're in the tournament, they should always be the favourites. Just ask Liverpool, like, at the end of the day. But credit where credit's due to him. The guy has the knack and has the gift to put the ball in the back of the net. But, yeah, definitely there's a... There's a few reluctant uh, naysayers who just have to keep flip-flopping because they've no choice because the guy is that good. He knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. Neil, after his five goals on Tuesday night to make it 39 goals this season already, is Erling Haaland already the Premier League's player of the year? Um, do you know what it is? He's, he's also a likeable character. There's always someone out there that either they're nearing the end of their career and they're a bit more likeable and they... 
you know, they they almost pity them in. I'll say Alan Ryan Giggs or one of these guys that does six months or Zola or someone that gets it and you're kind of going, I don't know. But there's not to me that many standout players that can go up against Erling Haaland this year just for what he's done in the first six months. Absolutely incredible. Um, but even, I don't know if you've seen his interview last night after the game where he went out to Henri uh, Carragher and Micah Richardson just went, well, only one of you really knows what it's like to score goals. Like he's got <laughs> he's got a tongue-in-cheek about him. Um, and you know what it is, Roy? Whatever about you say about my I always go on about Mbappe and Messi, well, not Messi, Neymar, for example, Mbappe, and I say I can't warm to them. But I look at Haaland and the way he carries on on the pitch, he has a real bit between his teeth on the pitch. He constantly makes the runs. And even when them pundits were giving him a lot, a lot of grief over the service not being correct and over the balls not being correct, he was still making the runs and he was still doing what he needed to do in order to come out of it on the right side. Um, and the goals, he gets headed goals, scrappy goals, off the shin, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, and he just has everything in his locker at the moment. So, yeah, I think, look... It would take an unbelievable last, whatever, 10, 12 games for someone to overhaul him. But he's just been absolute different class since he touched down. Absolutely. Dave, Manchester City, no matter how well Arsenal do over the next month, they're going to be hot on their heels all the way, aren't they? Yeah, look, as much as the, the, the kind of waiting for the Arsenal fall, that's long gone now. This is a two-man race and there's no two ways about it. But like even now, there's still that element of City will still be there, still be there right till the very end. It is very much up to Arsenal to whether they can keep this pace going because somebody was trying to say, oh, it's not quite the same City this year. And then they put up the points hall after 26 games or whatever it is for the last five years in a row. And it's smack bang in the middle. Uh, average like some of them were 66 67 one of them was 57 i think and this one is 62 like so they're literally roughly in a similar pace than what they are uh, most years so they're going to be in the 90 points so if arsenal get in there credit where credit's due but that's what you have to do you have to get into those 90s in order to win this league against the man city they'll make an honest run of it so if arsenal do it they totally deserve it because there's no two ways about it city are going to be there right to the very end they're not going to slip up the way others might might slip up, uh, they're going to be very consistent. They've done it for the last five, six years running, and they're doing it again this year. It's just everyone's very surprised that Arsenal have managed to match that, which we didn't expect. But every test that they've been faced, they're, they, they, they've come up trumps. So, um, yeah, hopefully it goes right to the distance. But, uh, you, you know, if anyone's going to falter, it's Arsenal, because City are going to do what they're going to do regardless. It's up to Arsenal to make sure they, they, they keep that going. Yeah, Neil... Liverpool saying tonight, as Dave insinuated earlier on, that Real Madrid are a, probably the team to beat. Um, everyone has Manchester City down as favourites to have for the last four or five seasons, just because Pep's there and because they're so dominant in the Premier League. Uh, does Haaland give them that opportunity now to go all the way on this one, even with an inform Real Madrid? Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at last year's, Roy, I mean, City had, you know, a number of teams, I guess, had Madrid on the ropes. They just didn't seem to be able to finish them off. Like City were almost tying with Madrid at one stage in that game. They hit the post. They wasted a couple of chances. Next thing you know, six minutes into injury time and you've lost a game by a goal. Like it was just incredible. So if there's one thing that will make the difference and Pep kind of alluded this week when he was asked about it going, oh, no, no, this was defensive issues. It's nothing got to do with Haaland or having Haaland here. But I mean, if this is going to be their year, it's going to be because of a guy like him. He's a big, big game player. This is what he was brought in for. And, you know, you can you can mask it whatever way you want. When you spend that kind of money on that type of player and you're you're chasing your Harry Kane's, you're chasing your Hallands, 
you're buying him for only one reason, and that's to win the Champions League. And that's to make that big difference in the biggest game of them all, be it a quarterfinal, semifinal, second leg, whatever it would be. It's just to get you over the line. So if they can't do it this year with Haaland, Jesus, they may never do it. This is the time. This is the group of players. You know, they're on song at the moment. They're scoring goals for fun. Um, this has to be it for them, I think. Just stick with you, Neil. If Liverpool had Erling Haaland, would that change their misfortunes in any way? Or is there something bigger than that? Uh, I don't think it would change. I, don't get me wrong. I think you'd definitely get a couple more goals. I don't think Liverpool's problem really is supplying to the front men and scoring. It seems to be a little bit behind the front three, in my opinion. Anyway, midfield and defence just isn't what it was. Like we were all, you know, and I would have been included rabbing on about, you know, we need two new midfielders. You need a Jude Bellingham. You need the midfield to be sorted. But it's kind of opened up them frailties to your back line this year. Um, in particular, the likes of, as Dave would always say, the untouchable Virgil van Dijk, where he's been badly found wanted in the last couple of games. And probably this season just hasn't been that kind of character that he's been for the past few seasons. So I think it lies deeper with Liverpool. Don't get me wrong. You wouldn't turn him down on a free transfer. But uh, I think the problems will lie a little bit deeper for Liverpool as a whole, as a team. But you look at, apart from the Manchester United horror show for the people in Manchester, apart from that, Liverpool aren't necessarily tearing teams asunder, are they? Like, there's not that real dynamic threat that there was beforehand. You used to see Salah get the ball, he used to go and attack players, beat players. It was nearly an end product to everything. Don't get that feel now anymore. Yeah, they, they've lost. Look, they've lost it. Number one, you lose that kind of invincibility feeling, but you also lose that fear factor. Like Liverpool would have gone away to Bournemouth, they're gone away to teams, and they just used to sit there and wait to be picked off because Liverpool had this relentlessness about them. Um, ironically, now I watched the last few Arsenal games and they seem to have that about them now where they're relentlessly chasing a team down, they're attacking a team, and now teams are sitting very, very deep against them. And then you think this might stop Arsenal, but no, they found another way. Liverpool are gone in the opposite direction now. They don't seem to have... Um, me and Dave were just talking about it on air beforehand there. It's that little sequence where even tonight they broke forward a couple of times and a one killer ball in behind at the right pace, at the right tempo would have got you in behind the Madrid defence. And instead, it was a five-yard, seven-yard pass twice over and then it allowed Madrid to recover. So they're lacking that kind of killer instinct. They're definitely lacking um, a belief in the way that they're playing and that they can actually go out and crush teams. Like the Man United results was still a freak result insofar as we just haven't seen that this year out of them. It was almost like a one-off, you could call it. But they haven't been like that where they were in previous seasons. They were like a shark uh, smelling blood and just going for it. So it's like the whole team have come down one level or maybe not a full level. It's like it's almost like when you're not at 100%, you're at 95 and in the Premier League, and obviously in Europe, you really get badly found out. There seems to be a hesitancy, Dave, to hit a cross in or, or hit a pass in the final third. They need it. It's like they need that extra touch just to be sure that that it's, it's the right ball. Where before they used to just whip balls across and go yeah. and attack them. Yeah, like um, for most of the season, the biggest thing that stuck out. I I, I genuinely think the engine's a bit old. Uh, I think it's that there's a few like overall because that pressing that we used to do is just not there anymore because I think there's just too many who just can't do it for the 90 or yeah. the 50, 60 minutes that they used to do which was enough because key teams would give up because it was suffocating what they used to do but uh, t definitely in terms of passing we do it's, it's like a hot potato they really do struggle to kind of hold on to and maintain the ball and then you see the stats and it's like 
sometimes Liverpool have 60 something percent of the ball and you're like well they must only have it for like six seconds and then lose it for two then get it back for four seconds then lose it for two because they never seem to hold it for longer than 35 because they try and force passes that aren't there and then when they get into those grade a places as you said you've got people like uh, Robertson and uh, Arnold who are phenomenal across the ball and uh, yeah as you said there's that hesitancy there because we you know, maybe with Jota coming back now, we might start to see a bit of it because he was always a, he's that kind of Tim Cahill like in, in the in he's deceptive in, in the air. Like Nunes obviously has it in him as well. So let's start using that a little bit because I think as well as talking about the agent engine or whatever, we we are very predictable. Like Bournemouth played to win the other day, um, and it was very obvious. And a lot of teams have done it this year. Let's absorb. They're not quite as cutting as they used to be. Let's absorb it, let's suck them out, and let's hit them on the counter. And um they got the, they got their just rewards like that was their way to win and this is a team bottom of the table or the second for bottom whatever it is and that's what they need to do they're not going to go toe to toe with these teams and uh, it's happened far too often this year like so there's a bit of an element of being found out as well and we're they're setting teams are setting traps for us and we're falling for it well they're still in that race for the top four they've got themselves back into that with some decent results uh, they just need to be a little bit more consistent but it's a big year for them. They they, could, mm. they they don't really want to be playing Europa League football next year. Sometimes you think it's no no football in Europe or, or Champions League football. A bit like Arsenal this year who, who have benefited from that last year. Okay. Um, Harry Kane, Neil, is 30 in the summer and will have one year left in his contract. If Kane doesn't sign a new contract, how do you think Daniel Levy will play it this summer? Yeah, yeah. It's one of these things. Any of the headlines kind of say, for example, if Man United are the suitors, they say Man United can't afford to be embroiled in a battle with Levy. And he just seems to be really, really good at holding his cards close to his chest and then just being a difficult individual. Now, he's holding on to Harry Kane. The question is, has he held on to Harry Kane too long? Does he see Harry Kane as a guy that he can cash in on and then, well, not rebuild that side, but then add to that side? Or is he going to kind of go all out and say, no, we're keeping him by all means uh, and how that will go down? So I don't know. It it, it feels with Erling Haaland going to City last year, obviously we knew City were in for, uh, for Kane. It's kind of taken one more big player off the table and it just feels like it's almost like a Man United or nothing because I don't think as a 30-year-old, you're going to go onto the continent. I couldn't see Bayern paying 90, 100 million for him. That seems to be the number that they're still saying. So I guess it comes down to a couple of little things. Did Kane have an original agreement the last time where it didn't obviously go down well and it took him a while to get going that season? Will he feel wronged or will he feel, look, I have a gentleman's agreement or is something of that going to come out? Or will this be finally the time where Livy goes, right, let's let him go and let's cash in and make some money on him? But again, it, I still think it comes down to being a buyer's market of who can actually afford him and where he would actually go. Dave, do you think anyone's going to offer 100 million for Harry Kane? Um, I don't think so. Like, it, look, it's a weird one because I've, I've said this a few times over the last week or two. Like, you know, you'd obviously still need a couple of new players and there's whatever do. But there's one position if they got a guaranteed if they knew their crystal ball that they could get a player that would get them a minimum of 20 Premier League goals a season, they'd immediately jump up another level regardless of whoever else they bought. So would you look to see if you got it in the in the tank? Or if you have a new owner, they'll certainly spend $100 million, that's for sure, because mm. it'll be chump change to them. Um, like obviously, Aussie men is, is highly anticipated as well, but there's no guarantee. There's a guarantee pretty much Harry Kane, but as long as he brings his A game, he'll get you that. 
And for United, that's why they will potentially dance with the devil. Will the Glazers plump it up? I don't think so. But if a new owner does come in, I'm sure they, they'd certainly consider it because immediately that put, puts United up another level, regardless of whoever else they upgrade. So in the Premier League, I think that's as good as you're going to get because he's not going to Arsenal, he's not going to Chelsea. Newcastle, will he want to be at that project early doors? I doubt it. I think, he, I think he'd rather finish off his career at Spurs if that was the only option because you know he's the legend there the statue will be out there soon enough and what have you and yeah so in England it, it is pretty much at the moment you know and what do you think about it from Daniel Levy's side what do you think he, how, will um, he, how will he roll the dice on this one because personally I think he'll try and keep him do um, you think he'll let the contract run down um, you'd like to think not for 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 his own sake. Obviously, he needs to start a contract. Like I like you know he this guy's a shrewd operator. But personally, I deep, deep down I think he wants to keep him because I think once he goes, the whole thing breaks down. Like he is the catalyst and he is that glue. I remember watching a bit of that all or nothing, and he got injured, and you could see the the cameras are in the canteens, and you could see the mood in the camp. Everyone looks to him, and this is the mm. this is some of the lads in their pomp of Vertonghen and Aldebaraels who you would expect to have. A similar stature but everyone and their mother knew how, how problematic it was when he got injured again so i think if he goes it could be a bit of a spiral for for spores for a while because um i that's why i think levy will do whatever he thinks is like he'll do whatever's best to get the best deal for spores but i think he wanted to try keep him. it's like when bail left Roy, isn't it i mean the, the, yeah. you look at the, the gap that that left now bear in mind they spent the bail money although they did not very well spend it very well yeah. but if they can if they are to sell them you just got to make sure you spend it more wisely you bring in a big big name that's going to satisfy a few people you don't replace him overnight no that's the other fear no. as well you don't replace a 20 goal a season striker for his whole career you just don't do it but to have a richarlison there who'll who'll bang them away won't they you know that's like, it might just take someone who's already around and and you know he might they might not stick in 25 goals but they might stick in 18 or 19 goals and you can form a team around that so you know it, i don't think it does be the end of the world um and do you want to keep harry kane does harry kane there's going to be a stage where harry kane's going to just feel di- bitterly disappointed and you kind of feel neil that this summer is going to be that moment because if he yeah. wants to go he's at, going to be 30 this summer he's going to be looking at that birthday cake they don't put more candles on it then once you hit 30 and he's he's going to be really thinking about ah, I, I missed my opportunity here because at 31 maybe not yeah, this is. I mean, this will be his last big contract. This is the last one where he's at the top of his game, where he can say, right, I can kind of di- dictate what I want and what I need. The question for Harry Kane is, he's broken all his records. That can't be touched now. The question is, and I know it's an, an you know, oh, does he want to win trophies? Of course he wants to bloody win trophies. But if he chooses very wisely, he could end up finishing in a very, very good manner. And, you know, playing in finals of Champions Leagues and winning for a change and, you know, just going for leagues where it feels like you're going for a league rather than you're going for top four. It feels the right time. And again, we keep saying about Man United, it just feels that that's the right club for him. Because, like, you know what I mean? Dave's after saying it there. You take Veghorst out of Man United and you put Harry Kane up top. Absolutely unbelievable upgrade in the terms of personnel. So it feels like the right move, but... As I say, Daniel Levy doesn't care about the right move for everybody else. He'll do what he sees fit. So he either misses out and cashing in on his cash cow or he holds on and hopes that, be it with a new manager or with Conte, they strengthen and they can go on another level. Yeah, for me, I think he need, he needs to leave. I I don't see things changing as Spurs. It hasn't changed in that time that he, it was. I think it was the year later that he was looking kind of for a, for a move. 
nothing has changed since then. There haven't really been any sort of a force. So nothing will ever change with Spurs, Roy. It, this, this is Spurs. There, there is no other level for Spurs under Levy. It'll be fourth and third. Like I don't care if any Spurs fans get a bend there. This is Spurs. Unless you get the billionaire in, you're not going to hit that level. They won't do it. So you know, even if they get rid of him. This is as high as they're gonna get and struggle. Like, like they're not gonna do anything different. He has to go if he wants trophies. He has to go. But he could have gone two years ago, three years ago. Even him, he's frustrating. Like, are you gonna go or are you not? Like, I actually don't. The the drama of it all is is ridiculous. But Spurs are not gonna get any better, even if they, even if they get a hundred million off him, because he'll buy three or four players. Like, we're not Spurs fans, but if anyone's listening, don't kid yourselves, lads. You're not gonna mm-hmm. do anything different under Levy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm in total agreement. I think it's with Daniel Levy, he was happy to get to a certain level. He didn't give the money to Poch when he needed it for yeah, a exactly. year and a half to two years. He, they could have kicked on then to get into a Champions League. He thought then that he'd be able to buy in a certain level of player and still kick on. He thought the managers were going to do miracles. You needed another two or three players of the level of, of Harry Kane to go on and do these big things. Uh, I mean, that's why Real Madrid are always in around there. They always get the quality, whether it's the young quality or the, or the or slightly older quality coming back in. They always get that quality. And, and Did you know what's Madrid Eric Lamella isn't that. <laughs> Did you notice uh, Modric? I think it was like the 60 something minute or whatever. They zoomed in him. I don't even, I couldn't see one beat of sweat in his head. No, he unbelievable. Like, I watched him the whole game, Dave. He never yeah. stopped moving. They, they were chasing them around the pitch. They were wrecked chasing them around the pitch. They yeah. couldn't get near him. And it, he said himself, take the keep moving because if you if you keep moving you take the physicality out of the yeah. game and you just you shine and that's what yeah. any sort of smaller players need to do keep moving keep on your toes don't let the physical end of it go in because everyone thinks you have to be big strong and powerful yeah, yeah. you don't you have to be clever and, and that's definitely what Luca Modric different class different class absolutely yeah. different class okay the World Cup uh, Neil in 2020 well I go to Dave because in 2026 the World Cup is going to be 48 teams that's 12 groups of 4 and 104 games what's your thoughts on it do you, do you, do you like this do you, are you entertaining this are you a bit upset about it how do you feel I kind of like the 32 team sort of scenario and yeah. it goes straight into to knockouts yeah, so the only there's going to be an additional knockout round, so it's going to go to around a thirty-two, then back to sixteen, eight, and whatever. So um, the only thing it does is it gets a few silly groups because uh, it gets rid of one silly proposition of three groups of three, which means there could have been a lot of collusion and a lot of played-out draws for certain teams. So yeah, at least yeah. the group of fours are back. However, you're you're going to get back to the old format of twenty-four back in the day, and obviously you see it now in the Euros. There's a few silly groups where even two or three points gets you into the next round. So that kind of, if only two out of the four got through, you've seen some of the drama in the World Cup just gone. It was brilliant to see with a few minutes to go, there's one country in and then a couple of goals go either way. So that kind of drama of two out of the four, that's the only thing that I'm a bit miffed about. And you will get a few. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be a bit bit diluted. It will be great for the smaller nations and emerging nations to get some experience at it. But 
it'll get a bit like the Champions League, I feel, where the group stages will be fairly much a foregone conclusion and we'll all just be waiting for the knockout phases of it. But it's very much a ticking of the box to keep the, the little guys happy. And unfortunately, that involves us as well. It might give us a bit more of a chance because the World Cup has just got so much harder. 13, 14 teams, I think, from Europe, which is very difficult for us. I think it might get up to near 20, which might give us a bit more of a window to get in at some stage at, at some point. But um yeah, it's gone up to 104. I reckon it'll be like four matches a day. The actual calendar for the tournament has not been official as of yet, but that might probably mean four matches a day, just bang, 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 midday, two o'clock, four o'clock. See, it'll be just constant. So it'll be like uh, Americans will love that. They, they do a thing in basketball called March Madness where there's literally basketball on from like 11 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, and it'll just go from one game to another, and they'll love it. Um but I just, it, yeah, ju it's just a shame that they're not just going too out of the group to go through because that drama um, won't quite be there as much now. For for there's that nice little um, get out clause for if if one of the big boys has a bad start, you know. We were back in 1990. Republic of Ireland were in the World yeah. Cup and there was a third place there as well. So yeah. you won't snuff at it, you know. You'd be you'd be, oh, no. you'd be, thank you'd be thankful for it if you do get through. We'd be thankful if we got there in the first place. So uh, that's something that we can look forward to with Neil. I think it's 16 European teams, I think, go to it's it this time. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, right, once you're there, that's what matters. You have to get to these tournaments. And, you know, you look at the Irish, the, the fondest members you have in 1994, you know, when it was just so new and raw, it was unbelievable to be at a World Cup and to be an actual decent team at a World Cup back in them days, like we had a serious squad at the time. And we just seem so far away from that now. And it's just, you know, the qualifiers are coming up now again. And, you know, I have my season ticket ready to go when you're playing France, you're playing Netherlands and you have this thing in your way, you're going, well, look, chances are we're not good. We're going to bomb out. So it would be nice thinking that you'll make a World Cup, be it in the next three of them, you made one of them, Jesus even that at this stage, that's how low the standards are. But from an Irish perspective, it would be great because it just it lifts, it lifts everybody. It lifts everyone going into a tournament like that. It gives a little bit more purpose rather than kind of looking at the English and them. Um, but then you look at the Welsh, the Scottish, they all made the last few tournaments and you're looking at them and you're with envy. So hopefully it comes back around to us and look, you, you take the positives that I don't really care who else gets extra games or what way it's done or money in line and pockets. I want to see Ireland at a World Cup. That's it. Simple as that. Okay, Neil, I'm going to stick with you. The uh, average effective playing time in the Premier League is lower than most teams or clubs, not clubs, what am I talking about? Leagues in yep. Europe. Talk about it. Yeah, so it, it's something that popped into my mind watching uh, the Boar Fest that was Liverpool Bournemouth over the weekend when I think Bournemouth got something like 24 car, or, uh, throw-ins and they took... I don't know, 17 minutes on each throw in. It just felt like it just really, really slow. And I was saying to myself, I must actually see how much time the ball spends in play. And I came across one stat. So Syria, Bundesliga and the French leagues are averaging 60 to 61 minutes per game of uh, game time as in the ball in play. Uh, the La Liga fell a little bit below it on 58 minutes. But the one that surprised me the most was the Premier League this year has had 32 games. And that was in the calendar year of 22 32 games that the ball was in play only 51 minutes like 51 minutes when you, you don't think about it, obviously when you're sitting there even watching the game there tonight there was a lot of fouling and falling around and messing around you would not think that you're losing 30 minutes per game let alone 40 minutes of mm. a game of football um, and it just surprises me that it's allowed 
Um, and if you've probably seen the follow-on from the Man United-Liverpool game last week, Kalina came out saying there should have been at least nine added on extra minutes. So he's saying, why are we not following the World Cup format? Now, I really enjoyed the World Cup insofar as that teams that were rolling around and really milking it, next thing you know, they're playing an extra 12 minutes. It seemed crazy at the time. But when you look at stats like that, where the ball is only in place 60 minutes out of 90, maybe it's about time that, you know, something like the Wenger stopwatch on the side of the pitch where we're absolutely sure we're getting our 90 minutes of play. That would make some game. Yeah, Dave. So it's not all time wasting. I mean, the ball goes out paying for a throw. You go get the ball, you come back in. And, you know, a lot of the time they take their throws quickly enough just to get the game on. But that time in between is lost. Um, it can happen with goal kicks. Even 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 if you're one nil down, and you're rushing to get a ball. It's still out of play, and it all adds up. Is it a case that what Neil's talking about that I, I don't I didn't enjoy the World Cup with the extra eleven minutes, and you know I can understand that 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 was added on, and and that's part of it. But I think I'd like that clock, the stopwatch, where the referee is not actually doing the time. The time is done up in the top right hand corner of the screen, and every time the ball goes out of play, it'll stop. And then every time it comes back into play, it'll restart again. And that's including substitutes. Then it'll be a bit like the rugby. 90 minutes is over. That is it. Is that something that you think can work? Yeah, like it's it's ironic you say about the substitutions. Like they kind of did a rule of thumb where it's 30 seconds for every substitution. Then now that there's 10 potentially substitutions, if all 10 are done, it should be a minimum of five. And then you see Mm. two minutes go up sometimes you're going, What's going this on? All about. But in, uh, Marco Van Basten was the original guy. He was on the technical bureau coming up with very various ideas before even Wenger. And uh, he was probably told to go back in your box, you're a madman. But at the time, it was around <laughs> 65 minutes. It was about 65 minutes was the average, give or take. So he said, why don't we make it 70-minute matches and 35 minutes a half? Every, as soon as the whistle's blown or goes out, the clock stops. Because then we're encouraging more game time because they're only uh, 65 minutes active, so you're trying to get an extra five minutes. Out. So every time the ball goes dead, um, the clock stops, and it's 35 minutes a half, and you're getting roughly the amount of football that you want to be seeing. All of a sudden, that doesn't sound so extreme when you're looking at averages that Neil is saying, like, as low as 51 minutes. Like, it's nuts. Um, now, I don't know, does VAR play him? Does VAR make that clock go a bit slower? I don't know whether the clock keeps ticking during VAR decisions anymore. I don't know whether that gets into it now. Is that why the average has gone down? But I think something like that, because you're not going to do 90 minutes where the clock stops all the way, because otherwise it'll be nearly three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I think roughly more Van Basten's kind of initial, kind of uh, what he's seen as the future of football seems a bit more realistic now, where, yeah, as soon as there's a whistle blown, the ball goes dead, clock stops. And then there's a big, the, the big hooter goes at, after the 35 minutes and off you go. And none of it. And, and the lads can roll, roll around as much as they want. The lads can get the physios on every, every as much as they want. The lads can do whatever they want. They, they, the, the time will never change. And you're taking that power away from them for all that. Because you see it specifically in, the, in Europe, European matches, right? Because like allegedly the English game is more honest. And when you see the continental teams are brilliant at that kind of stalling the clock at the end. And we all go bananas. All of a sudden, you don't care anymore because it doesn't make, it, make a blind bit of difference, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I right, have to be seriously considered. They identified a couple of areas. So one that Dave said there was uh, the injuries were obviously the biggest uh, culprit, but the goal kicks would. That's why they're oh, caught, yeah. they're clamping down a lot this year, where they're yellow card and the keeper a little bit quicker. So they reckon the biggest culprit was goal uh, keepers, you know, getting the sup of water, moving the ball to the other side of the goal, and then kicking the post, and then you know, angling, yeah, move a little to your left and then hitting it. So that's where they tried to tackle it this year. 
but it's clearly not working insofar as you're still seeing a lot of wastage going on. Yeah. Now, there's something we just skipped, Dave, and we'll, we'll go back yeah. to it quickly because La Liga have objected to plans for a new international club tournament, which we were going to talk about after the World Cup, but then we totally forgot all about it. But do, <laughs> do talk to us about this uh, World Club World Cup yeah, club so competition. They were in Rwanda for another Congress this week and they approved various formats. And obviously the Club World Cup one uh, came into... It was mooted, I think, at the World Cup where they were going to bring a, every four years... Uh, aspect so there is going to be a 32 team club world cup set in june of 2025 mm. and the rough uh guidelines are so teams from 2021 to 2024 uh, so that's four uh european finals the winners will automatically have places uh europe is to have 12 places in the new tournament so obviously chelsea and real madrid have automatically got their spot and then there's two more up for grabs the other qualifying teams from each continent will be determined by a club ranking based system over that same four-year period so i did the uefa have a club ranking so it'll be probably the four winners maybe the four runners up and then the top four remaining teams in the uefa rankings it all like it just goes to show you it's a way of getting the big boys into a big boy tournament for money yeah. and prevent the super league um, and obviously real madrid are probably wanting to go against it because they're not going to get a bigger slice of the pie as they want if they created their own Super League. Um, so they also want to keep it. Now, here's the other kicker. They want to keep a yearly club competition as well, but it, it'll be stripped down um, versus the current Club World Cup, where I think it's it's going to be the winners of the Champions League and the winner of the intercontinental playoffs between other confederations. So it looks like Europe are always going to be in the final. And then there's going to be a couple of other playoffs with other intercontinental teams. And then that'll be the yearly competition, which sounds a bit weird. Okay, well, that sounds a bit like harsh shit there, doesn't it? Doesn't <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they get rid of that. That's a bit like the uh, the Carabao Cup or something like yeah. that, you know. They, it's, it doesn't, it's not needed now anymore, I don't think. Yeah. Maybe some people will debate whether the Carabao Cup is needed or not, uh, especially yeah. lower league teams. But with this, Neil, it, so in 2024, you're going to have a European Championships. 2025, yeah. you'll have a World Club Championships. 2026, you'll have a World Cup 2027, three, and then you got three more years again then of competitions. So you're given one year and four that you're going to have a, a summer off. It's doesn't. It sounds like they're trying to run the players into the ground. It does, yeah. And I mean, look, we, we've seen evidence of it over. When, even when you have a World Cup, there's always an after effect of the teams that reach semi-finals, final of a World Cup. They're absolutely jaded. Um, if you look at Man City being a prime example, I don't... Belgium didn't get that far, but Kevin De Bruyne was playing in the the Nations League final. He was playing in the World Cup. He's playing in everything, and he, he looked jaded on a couple of occasions coming back from uh, from international duty. Uh, the Premier League players, then, regardless of who they are, the English players didn't come back this year till about two weeks into the Premier League, so they were all late back. So you're going to have three years in a row where they get a week or two holidays, wherever it will be, and then they're getting back going again. So it's going to have a knock-on effect. You won't be getting the quality. And on the other hand, Roy, this is just as an absolute supporter, I couldn't give a monkeys about the World Club uh, Championship because I can't think of any player who ever retired and went, that World Club Championship was the highlight of my career. It's winning your Champions League. It's winning your domestic league. And by all means, World Cup European Championships, bang on. But... It just dilutes what your is meant to be an achievement for you. You know, I don't even know if anyone mentions the Nations League, even though it's a big toll to get there. You know, whether you turn around at the end of it and go, oh, "Yeah, I'm delighted with me winners' medal." So, you know, it was like the 
the European Super League, do we care? Do we want to see them teams play against each other every week? Is there prestige that goes with it enough that the fans will fanatically follow it? Um, that type of format Dave explained there, the World Club, no interest in it whatsoever. Couldn't care who wins, couldn't care who they play in the semi-finals. No interest. And I think that's it, Dave. It's the... Uh... It's the qualifying part. So for some teams, there's no achievement to get that qualifying. They might have a miserable season that year and still get through. And we've seen we've seen where the likes of I don't know Belgium would be top of the rankings in the in the in the international rankings and haven't won a thing, haven't won a tap. And so these rankings are all over the shop. So you know you just wonder then is there. It, is there any sort of truth to these rankings or is it kind of half made up just to benefit things? Uh, yeah, look, listen, the only thing I will say, just to counteract a little bit of what Neil said, he's dead right. No one's going to be really uh, wishing for club world championships, but that's for everyone that's in Europe. Trust me, the South Americans take this shit seriously, as does everyone else. They still sing songs about beating Liverpool and the 84 one uh, Flamengo fans. Like, they, this is big news. This is their one chance to beat the big boys. Mm. So, Unfortunately, UEFA is the big money market, so they need to try and get them on board. And I don't think teams will take it all that seriously. And that could be the the ending of this. It depends on how how serious the UEFA teams uh, take it seriously, because uh, obviously that's what you or I and even the rest of the world will want to watch the, the the big the big hitters perform at these things. But you look at say, for example, Chelsea. Chelsea are struggling at the moment, but they're already mm. in it. You know, imagine yeah. if that form is still here in three years' time, but they're at the Club World Cup. That's where it gets a bit silly, you know, potentially, because this is a team who have won a tournament four years ago and they could have hit the skids, and that could be the same for anyone for that matter. Yeah. Um, obviously, the form teams based on the rankings, at least they'll be form teams over the last couple of years, so at least that's something. But um, I don't see a long-term future for this. They, they, they're obviously determined to do it. It will happen. But I think its survival will depend on how seriously the wafer teams. Do you think this could be the one and only tournament? Yeah, sure. Look, they gave it a go. What was it, two thousand? And remember, they they really tried to give it a go, and sure, they they bullied FA to bully United to to step out of the FA Cup because that's how determined they were to try and make something happen. So this is definitely going to happen one way or another in this tournament. Uh, But I think it all hinges on the wafer clubs. and and how seriously they take it we can all take a guess where this is probably going to end up in the middle east somewhere so there'll be plenty of money involved so they might be like unfortunately told what to do but let's yeah. let's let's wait and see Ronaldo okay. versus Europe yeah <laughs> uh, right we're going to leave it there uh, that's something that's down the line and I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk about that uh, before it even starts whether anyone will do anything a bit like Qatar probably not because uh, as you said uh, they like their money. Okay, Dave, thanks very much. Neil, thanks very much. And thanks very much for you for listening. Don't forget to follow us and uh, don't forget to send in any old questions you wanted to be kick off 96.4 at gmail.com or if they're at and you want us to debate. Talk to you next week.